have your Bible, please do open with me to Paul's letter to Philemon. And we're going to be looking at this over the next three weeks or so. So let's just pray now as we come to look at God's word for, as always, we need the Lord's help in anything we're doing. For me, as I try to explain and teach the book and apply it for you, as you listen to be attentive, we all need the Lord's help. Um, He has us in this little letter for a reason, and we trust that he will accomplish his purposes. So let's ask for him to do so. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be together this morning. And as we just steady ourselves and take a moment to be still, we remember that you are God, that your word is the living word, and that you are pleased by your spirit to speak through your word to us today. We read in your word that all scripture is breathed out by you. So here we have the breath of God among us. And Lord, we know that these scriptures are useful to train us in righteousness. And so as we look at them again this morning, as we look at your word, just help us, Father. I just pray that you would accomplish your good purposes for your glory, and that, Lord, you would indeed help us in every area of our lives to live with our eyes upon Jesus, seeking to bring every part of our lives under his lordship. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, we're starting this morning this new series in Paul's letter to Philemon. This is the shortest of the Apostle Paul's letters in the New Testament, and tucked away there between the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, and the book of Hebrews, it's very easy to skip over this little letter without even noticing that it's there. But I want, over the next three weeks, to urge you not to skip over and neglect this little letter because God has seen to it that it has been preserved and included in our Bibles. It is here for a purpose. There is something significant and unique in this little letter that God wants us to pay attention to. There's specific instruction on a certain area of life that God wants us to manage in a gospel-centered way. What is the area of life that this letter is here to speak into? Well, very simply, this is a letter about how to manage conflict in our relationships in a gospel-shaped manner. Now, you might say to me at the outset, conflict. We would never experience that as Christians in the church. We're all super saints with humility halos glowing in the background. To which I would respond, what planet are you living on? Think of it, the church, a gathering of sinners who are saved by grace from different backgrounds, gathered together into a local church family in Christ. We are all works 
in progress. We all have different personalities. We are all at differing levels of spiritual maturity and understanding. We hold different views about how things should be done. Of course, at times, we're going to run into conflict. And the New Testament doesn't shy away from this reality. We actually see, even in the Gospels, the disciples having arguments with each other about things like who's the best disciple. We see in many New Testament letters, like First and Second Corinthians, for example, a series of relational conflicts and difficulties in the church that Paul's trying to write to help them with. We see it also in Philippians. There are two women, Yodia and Syntyche, and Paul's like, I'm urging them to agree. Clearly, there was some kind of dispute that was affecting the unity of the church. So many places in the New Testament, we read about conflict and how as Christians we should manage it, but nowhere in the New Testament do we read about it as specifically as we do in Paul's letter to Philemon? If you ever wished there was a letter in the Bible on how to address relational conflict in a gospel-shaped manner, this is it. We're called in this letter to bring even our relationship conflicts under the lordship of Christ. We don't just deal with them in the way we want to. God has shown us how as Christians we're to manage the different conflicts that we can experience in our lives. So here's the point of this message and the point of Paul's little letter to Philemon. The way you conduct yourself in a relational conflict will either put the gospel on display or it will put your sin on display. That is the message of Philemon. And that is the message for us through this letter today. The way you conduct yourself as a Christian in a relational conflict is either going to put the gospel on display or it's going to put your sin on display. Some of you might be in a kind of conflict now. You might be thinking of a relationship that's not the way you'd like it to be with someone. There's tension, there's difficulty, and you don't really know what to do about it, whether you should even do anything about it. If you're not in a conflict like that right now, some of you one day will be, because that's life. At home, with our families, at work, with our work colleagues, with our friends, even in your church, there can be conflict for a variety of reasons. It can be serious, it can be small, but this little letter is here to teach us how to manage such periods of conflict in a gospel-shaped manner. So this morning, what we're going to do is just first get our bearings by looking at the specific conflict in view in the letter. For it is a letter from the Apostle Paul to Philemon addressing a real relational issue in the local church. It needed to be managed with great care, and Paul skillfully writes this letter to try and help in the situation. We'll look, uh, first of all, at the setting. Then we're going to just look at the introduction to the letter, the first seven verses. And especially we're going to try and focus in on the character of this man, Philemon, and what we can learn from his character so that we can be people who are ready to handle conflict in a way that honors the Lord and not just the way we would want to. So first, let's get into the setting of the letter. 
This is a setting that addresses a broken relationship that needs to be restored. That's the setting of the letter. When you take a step back and read the letter as a whole, it's easy to put together the backstory that called for the letter. It's addressed, as we learn in verse 1, to a man called Philemon. Philemon seems to have been an old friend of the Apostle Paul's. He was a man with some means. Financially, he seems to have been fairly well off. Philemon was a Christian. It seems to be a mature Christian, the local gathering of believers in and around probably Colossae, the city that um, Paul's letter to the Colossians was written to that we spent time in over the Sunday mornings in the summer. Uh, Philemon probably was uh, the guy hosting Uh, at least one of the gatherings of Christians in Colossae, in his house. He may well have been an elder or some kind of overseer in that local church that met in his house. Philemon had some bond servants in his household who worked for him, as was very typical for a man of Philemon's standing. Some translations, like an older translation of the ESV, I think the NIV, they use the word slave for this kind of worker. But we're not to think of ethnically based slavery of the 19th century in the West. No, bond servants, slaves, whatever you want to call them in the New Testament in the first century, it's much more nuanced than that. Bond servants were usually people who had got themselves into some financial debt and they were working in a household as a means of covering their debt. Kind of like those old cartoons where you'd see someone buy a really fancy meal, they can't pay for it, and so the owner of the restaurant gets them into the kitchen, they have to do the dishes to pay for their dinner. It's that kind of idea. It's not like the ethnic-based slavery of the 19th century at all, though that sort of thing may have gone on, but in the Bible... Someone like Philemon would have had a bond servant working for him in his household, but he, he, was, he had to work for Philemon because he had put himself in some kind of debt, and this was his means of repaying it. It was called indentured slavery, and there would be good masters who would look after their servants well, and of course bad masters who would abuse their servants. So this man, Philemon, seems to have had some bond servants working in his household. In some ways, it could be seen as a kind of social security structure, you know, a kind of benefit system for someone that got themselves into trouble. They could live in the house, find their meals in the house, and they would work for their master. Well, one of these servants was this man we meet in verse 10 called Onesimus. And when you read this letter, you realize that Onesimus in the past must have run away from his master Philemon's house. He had abandoned his responsibilities and gone on the run. In verse 18, Paul hints that Onesimus had wronged his master. He may have caused him some financial loss. And of course, Paul says, if he's caused you any loss, I'll repay it myself. And we'll look at how wonderful that is in a few weeks' time. Now, this might not sound like a big deal. A runaway servant from a household in the first century. There's a letter in the Bible about that. Yes, there is. But this was a big deal because there were lots of rules and laws in Greco-Roman culture about how runaway servants were to be punished. They could be imprisoned. They could be flogged for their breaking the law. They could even be sentenced to death. 
So Onesimus was a man on the run, a fugitive, and it seems he sought anonymity, it's hard to say, in Rome. He wanted to be anonymous, he wanted to hide away, so it seems like he made his way to the big city where everyone could be anonymous, Rome. But that's where the apostle Paul at this time was living under house arrest because of his work of sharing the gospel. How exactly Onesimus came to cross paths with the apostle Paul, we don't know. But all we do know is in verse 10, Paul says to Philemon, I'm appealing to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now, that is Paul's way of explaining to Philemon that Onesimus has become a Christian through Paul's ministry. Somehow, Onesimus has crossed paths with the Apostle Paul, and through Paul's sharing of the gospel, Onesimus has been saved. He's been converted, born again. But now, think about it. The Apostle Paul has a real situation on his hands. Onesimus is a runaway servant who has wronged his master and Paul's friend, Philemon. Onesimus has become a Christian. And Paul one day says to Onesimus, Onesimus, I think you've got to go and put things right with Philemon. He's now your brother in the Lord, and your relationship with him is not right. You've got to go and seek reconciliation where possible. In verse 13 in the letter, we read actually Paul says he played with the idea of keeping Onesimus with him. But then he realizes, no, he needs to go back to Philemon so that Philemon and him can put their relationship right and the whole situation can be improved. Now, imagine you're Onesimus in that moment where Paul says you have to go back to Philemon. How would you feel? You know there are rules out there where Philemon would be entitled to bring you to the magistrate Have you flogged, imprisoned, or perhaps even sentenced to death? And Paul's saying, you've got to go back. I think I'd be sick in my stomach straight away. Can we not just avoid it? Well, Paul says, look, I'll write a letter to Philemon. I know he's a loving and gracious man. I have confidence that he'll respond in a manner which reflects the gospel with grace and mercy. So, Paul writes this letter to Philemon that we have recorded for us in the New Testament, and he puts it in Onesimus' hand. The letter is an explanation of what has happened in Onesimus' life, and it's an appeal to Philemon that he would receive Onesimus back. Look at verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, He's writing to Philemon. Receive him as you would receive me. And look at verse 16, what he says, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. He's been saved, Philemon. He's not just a servant to you anymore. He is now your beloved brother in the Lord. And so, Onesimus, sets off with some others, probably with Tychicus as well, 
carrying the letter to the Colossians, carrying the letter, personal letter to Philemon, off they go from Rome, make their journey down, and you imagine what is going through Onesimus' mind when he knocks the door of Philemon's house. Your heart would be going through the roof. Philemon opens the door, hands him the letter. You could imagine the situation. May he have said something like, this is a letter from your friend Paul. It explains why I'm here. Please read it before you do anything else. Well, that's the setting of the letter. And before we get into the content then of the introduction, let's take, just take a step back for a moment and make a couple of observations from what we see in the setting and kind of getting our bearings in the letter. First, I want us to just look at how the Apostle Paul viewed the relationship between himself and this man, Onesimus, and how he viewed the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. Paul uh, speaks in verse 10 of himself as a spiritual father to this younger Christian whom he calls his child. In verse 12, he says, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Paul sees himself as a spiritual father to this new Christian. He sees that he has a responsibility to contribute to his growth and maturity as a disciple. He sees that his job is almost to be like a father to him, to see him growing up in the Lord and becoming everything that God wants him to be. Paul speaks to Philemon, and he says, Onesimus is no longer a bondservant, but he's a beloved brother. You see, Paul understands so clearly that when someone becomes a Christian, they're united to Jesus by faith, but they don't stay alone in that union. United to Jesus, they're united with others who are united to Jesus. And this is the family of God. I wonder, as you look at the people around you this morning, do you see the people around you as your spiritual family? Brothers and sisters in Christ. Mothers and fathers in Christ. Children in Christ. You see, when we become Christians, we come into the family of God. And I know, you think of at home, we often are shortest with the people closest to us. And we can have conflicts at home. Well, we can also experience that in the church. But we're a family in Christ. We're to stick together. We're to love and care for each other through thick and thin. So the first thing I want us to see is that emphasis that we're going to see throughout the letter on this family language. When one becomes a Christian, they come into a family, a whole new family of people in Christ. We're going to think of the significance of that as we move forward. But the second observation relates to Paul's sensing the need to send Onesimus back to try and put things right with his master. Let's just think about that for a few moments. See, when one becomes a Christian, we can sometimes look back over our lives and see ways that we've actually wronged or offended people through our sinful actions. It can be good for us in such circumstances where possible to go back and apologize and seek peace and reconciliation with the offended party, especially when that offense and broken relationship might affect unity in the church. We want to be careful here 
I don't think we're to trawl through our past and seek to put every right every wrong right and apologize for every single thing we've ever thought or said or done in the past against someone. Some people with certain temperament could torture themselves over that kind of thing. First, we always remember that when we come to Jesus, every sin is forgiven by God. But there may be occasions where we feel it would be wise and good to go and try to put things right with someone where things are not right. That might be important for a variety of reasons for us to do. Think of this particular situation, the example of the Apostle Paul. Imagine if Onesimus started moving around with Paul as part of his missionary team. Paul says in the letter, in verse 13, that he had thought of keeping Onesimus with him so that he could serve with Paul in the gospel. Paul clearly hopes he's going to get out of prison, continue on his missionary journeys. Onesimus could come with me and be really useful. But imagine he does that without addressing the conflict between Onesimus and Philemon. And imagine as the church in Colossae, with Philemon sitting there, might hear reports, as Paul sent reports to the churches, he may have heard a report. There's this guy, Onesimus, and he's with Paul, and he's doing great gospel work, and he's living for Jesus. And what would Philemon think? That guy still owes me money. He ran away from me. There's a wrong there, and it hasn't been right. Philemon could easily have felt deeply offended by the Apostle Paul taking Onesimus on the journeys with him and never addressing the wrong that had to be righted. So there can be circumstances in our lives where there's a relationship that is not right, and we look back over how we have offended someone, and we recognize that we need to go and try, where possible, to right the wrong. Here's something to think about in that. Philemon's response to Onesimus was outside of Onesimus' control, but he could control what he was called to do. Onesimus could go and apologize and seek reconciliation, and even if it could not be actualized, that was outside of Onesimus' control. What was inside his control was how he was to respond and react and move towards the offended party seeking peace and reconciliation. Often as Christians, you might find yourself in relational conflict and true reconciliation might not be possible for a variety of reasons. In such moments, you need to make sure that as much as it depends on you, you have done what you can control and what you are responsible for before the Lord to do so that you can have a clear conscience before God and continue to live a faithful Christian life. Sometimes, for the sake of our witness and the unity of the church, we need to go and have such difficult conversations. We pray, we seek the Lord, and we always make sure that the reconciliation is not hindered because of us. Why do we do this? Because as Christians, this is what God calls us to do. This is what families do. When we look at how God, the offended party because of our sin, moved towards us to seek peace and reconciliation, 
and then hearing in the New Testament the calls for us to go out and to seek to be like Christ, to go and seek to be those who live in harmony with others, who seek to live lives of love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We must seek in all of our relationships to try and reflect the character of the gospel. That is Christianity. We work towards a peace and unity in our relationships that reflects the peace and unity that God has brought about through Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. So, there is our introduction and setting and just some initial reflections on the book. Let's now, just for the rest of this message, get in to the introduction to the letter. Let's get back to that moment. The door has knocked. Onesimus hands the letter to Philemon. Philemon takes the letter from Onesimus' hand, and he starts to read, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Now, we're just going to run through the seven verses, make some observations along the way. Paul refers to himself here in the introduction as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. This calls to mind straight away that he himself has made sacrifices for the sake of the gospel, something that he's going to call Philemon to do with respect to Onesimus. We notice in the introduction that Timothy is with the apostle Paul, and Paul writes to Philemon primarily this is addressed to Philemon, as his name is first in the letter, and in ancient convention, when that person, that first name was often the one that the letter was primarily addressed to. Paul speaks to an individual throughout the content of the main body of the letter, and that is Philemon. But notice, he addresses it also in verse 2, to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. Now, we don't really know anything about Aphia and Archippus. Um, this may have been Philemon's wife and their son. A lot of commentators have speculated, said that could well be a good way to explain just what's going on here, but we can't be sure. And then Paul includes in his list of addressees the church in your house. So though this is a personal letter to Philemon, Paul wants it to be read to the whole church. And you know, you're sitting in your study at home and you're asking yourself, why? If this is a personal letter, why does he want it to be read in front of the whole church? I wonder how you'd answer that question. It seems that the reason for wanting it read in front of the whole church is because Paul is confident that the way Philemon will respond will be a wonderful discipleship lesson for the whole church on how we handle conflicts as Christians. He wants this situation to be an example to the church on how to manage conflict resolution. And you're going to see that as we continue through this introduction. So after the customary greeting of grace and peace in verse 3 that we find in Paul's letters, in verses 4 to 7, we have a thanksgiving bridge before Paul gets to the main request in the letter from verses 8 to 20. Here in 4 to 7, Paul is giving thanks to God for Philemon's Christian life and the way his life has had an impact on others. Or to use the language of verse 7, Paul's giving thanks for how through Philemon the hearts of the, of the saints have been refreshed. Now straight away, I just want to step back from that and just think about that. Paul's saying, Philemon, 
your Christian life has been a great blessing and refreshment to others. Who wouldn't want to be that kind of Christian? I hear that and I just think, oh Lord, help us to be more like Philemon in that respect. To be the sort of Christian that's not a drain on everyone, but that actually is bringing refreshment to others. Of course there are times in our lives where we need to experience refreshment from others. But we also want to be those places, those Christians, where just our character and our manner brings refreshment to people, and they just think it's good to be in that person's presence because they point me to Jesus. And it, it, it makes me feel like I want to know Jesus more. What are the marks of a refreshing Christian? Well, let's just think about that for a moment. Verse 5, Paul speaks of Philemon's love and faith that he has for the Lord. If you want to be a Christian who refreshes others, first, you've got to love the Lord and you've got to trust Jesus. You've got to have a love for the Lord, a passion, a hunger and thirst for the Lord, and you're going after him, and others see you going after him, and it inspires them and refreshes them. Only in Jesus is the true water of life that can quench the thirst of the human soul. We can only share that water with others when we're drinking it in ourselves. No one can minister to others refreshment out of a dry well. Let me ask you this morning, are you constantly having the well of your soul refilled with the life-giving water that there is in Jesus? Are you filled with the Spirit of Christ in such a way that you can be an instrument of refreshment to others? Or are you just a half-hearted Christian? We have got to be well-watered so that we can refresh others. And how can we be well-watered? Well, we get in the presence of the Lord. And we just pray, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Don't let me drift away. I know I'm busy. My life's crazy. I find Bible reading difficult. I find prayer difficult. Sometimes my mind's everywhere in church. But Lord, please fill my well up with your spirit so that in some way, as I pray for others, that could refresh them. As I send this wee message to say, I just want to encourage you, keep going, that that would refresh them. As you speak words of encouragement or just appreciate people, that would be means of you refreshing others as you're outward looking. Listen, you cannot be a refresher of others if you are self-centered, if you just think about yourself all the time. Notice Philemon's love and faith was not just directed towards the Lord. In verse 5, Paul writes, I hear of the love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Love and faith for Jesus and faith that is expressed through love towards the saints. If you want to be a refresher of others, you've got to take your eyes off yourself to start looking around at others and thinking I could help other people. I could be a refreshment to them. In the fellowship here at Great Vic, we must see that it is each of our responsibilities to encourage and help each other to grow in the Lord. We can often think in churches, that's the job of the elders. It's the job for each of us. In Ephesians 4.12, we read that God has given gifted leaders to the church to equip the saints for the works of ministry so that the body of Christ can be built up. 
every member ministry, every person taking a responsibility for the well-being of everyone else. That's what it's all about. And in verse 7, Paul says to Philemon, I've looked at the way you love and encourage the saints as you refresh them. And it brings me such joy and comfort just to watch it, to hear of it, to receive reports of it. Your Christian life is a blessing to others, Paul says to Philemon, and it brings me joy to see that. Could it be said of you, your Christian life is a great blessing to others? That's so deeply challenging and searching for us. Again, as we reflect on Philemon and his character, you just think, well, who wouldn't want to be that kind of Christian? full of love for the Lord, faith that spills over and is an encouragement and refreshment to other people. Intentional efforts to take eyes off the self and to actually say, I am going to initiate encouragement of this person here. I'm going to send them a message. I'm going to send them a Bible verse. I'm going to invite this person or these people or this family round for dinner and we're just going to have a meal around the table and I'm going to try and reach out to them and build a relationship and try to be in any way a refreshment. And you know, as the proverb says, those who refresh others are themselves refreshed. It's a great blessing to us as we are refreshed. We have had around our table some great meals with people from all over the place and inevitably we receive blessing in our house from all the different people that are in through the door. Then after this commendation and encouragement of Philemon, Paul explains in verse 6 what he is now praying for Philemon in light of what he's about to request him to do in welcoming Onesimus. This is a wee bit tricky, so let's look at it carefully. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. By sharing of your faith here, Paul is not speaking primarily to Philemon about what we do in evangelism, sharing the gospel. The word behind sharing there, I pray that the sharing of your faith, is that Greek word that we've heard before, koinonia. It means fellowship, partnership, generous sharing. Paul is praying in verse 6 that the warm fellowship that flows out of Philemon's faith would be effective in making known more fully to the church that gathers in his home every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now, let me explain that coming from a different angle. In context, with respect of the situation with Onesimus, Paul is praying that the warm fellowship that, he, that Philemon will extend to, his, to this runaway servant, that Philemon's sharing his faith, his warm fellowship that flows out of his faith, he's praying that his willingness to welcome and reconcile with Onesimus, to receive him as a beloved brother, he's praying that that act would manifest more fully the beauty of the gospel, all the good things that are in us for the sake of Christ. 
Paul is praying for Onesimus that his willingness to extend his fellowship, his sharing the outworkings of his faith, receiving this runaway back, being willing to forgive him, willing to reconcile, he's praying that that act is going to become effective to make known more fully the gospel. He's saying, you have the opportunity, Philemon to manifest the gospel in the way you conduct yourself with respect to this person who has offended you. And I'm praying, Philemon, that the way you share your fellowship with this brother will have a big impact on others and will actually teach others about the gospel. Isn't that striking? Now, let's just step back again and think, what's our story as Christians? Because our story is all over this little letter. We, by nature, through our sin, have offended our master, our maker, God. We are the Onesimuses who have offended our master and run for it, like the parable of the prodigal son. We are the ones who have taken our share and exploited it and wasted it and have run away from God in sin. And then you remember the parable of the prodigal son, how the son came to his senses in the pigsty, and he says, I'll go back to my father. And he has a speech ready, Father, I'm not even willing to be accepted as your son. Treat me as one of your hard slaves, servants. But what happens? The father looking for his estranged son, runs when he sees the son coming. He runs to meet his estranged son. And he says, you are no servant, you are my son. And he reconciles with him and restores him into the father's house. You see, that is our story. We have offended God. We ran away. In repentance, God, by his grace, wakened us up to the fact that we were sinners. We come back, and God, through Jesus Christ, welcomes us home, not as unworthy servants or slaves, but he reinstates us as sons and daughters. And so Paul looks at this situation, and he sees Philemon, and he sees Onesimus, and he says, Philemon, I'm sending Onesimus back, and I am praying for you that the sharing, the outworking of your faith, your fellowship towards his brother, it's going to make known to the church there the glory of the shape of the gospel. That's amazing. That is absolutely wonderful. Now let's apply this to ourselves. Remember our main point for this morning. The way we manage our relational conflict with others will either put on display the gospel or it will put on display our sin. That is the message of Philemon. And that is why Paul writes this letter to Philemon. Because he sees that when Christians bring even their relational conflicts under the lordship of Christ, those very painful situations can even be seedbeds of grace. Places, places that, that promote the glory of the grace of God demonstrated in the gospel. Now, this effort of reconciliation in the midst of conflict is not always easy. 
You know this, I know this. It requires wisdom, patience. It's not always straightforward to seek reconciliation and to find peace. And what we're going to do over the next two weeks is we're going to look at how carefully Paul handles this particular situation between Philemon and Onesimus. Even this introduction, you can see he's setting the whole request up so clearly, and then he handles it so carefully. He says, I'm not commanding you to do it, because if he commanded him to forgive, it wouldn't be real. He said, I want you to do it yourself from love. The way he handles it is so careful, so delicate, so tactful, which is so needed in such circumstances. But for this morning, I want us to land this with two just concrete responses as we come to uh, draw this message to a close. First, in light of this introduction uh, and looking at the setting, I want us just to take time this morning in closing. We're going to have time to do this as we come to the Lord's Supper as well. Let's take time to remember how this little letter is like a little outline of our story. Let's think of how we are Onesimus and how we have offended God, and yet how God sent for us a mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And and Jesus, like, like Paul says here, Jesus said, look, see the wrong that those have done against you, Father, I will bear it. And Jesus bore our sin on the cross to take it away from us so that we could be reconciled with our Father. Just think of the beauty of the gospel even tucked away in a tiny little letter that we can easily skip over. The gospel shines from every corner of the New Testament, indeed from every corner of the Bible. And it shines particularly brightly in this little letter. So let us ponder this morning as we respond and come to the Lord's table. Our own story, runaways, who made a mess and yet who received back into fellowship wonderfully with our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. And let's rejoice in that as our story. But second, Paul starts this whole journey of reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus with a prayer, the prayer that we looked at there in verse 6. Maybe you're here and you're feeling a bit hot under the collar because of the conflict you're in the midst of, and you're like, oh boy, I need to do something about it. But you don't really know what to do. That's okay. Come back next week and the following week, and that perhaps will help you a little bit more. But start here this morning. Start praying about that. Start praying about the conflict. Bring your hurt and your pain to the Lord. He gets you. For if anyone walked through relational conflict and relational betrayal, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. He gets you. He gets you. Turn to the Lord. Turn your eyes to him as we've been singing about earlier. Start praying about your conflict. Start praying, Lord, is there something you would want me to do so that I can manage this conflict in a way that demonstrates the gospel, grace, mercy, patience, peace? Is there a way I can manage this where it it manifests and put the gospel on display? Please show me how to do that. Because I don't want my sin to be made manifest in this. Because it's so easy to get selfish and to get bitter and to let bitterness flow out from us instead of grace. 
I know it's hard, I know it's not easy, but I want to encourage you this morning to ponder the way God has moved in reconciling grace towards you and then start praying, Lord, is there any way, anything on me that I need to do, please show me. And let's be a place where we keep short accounts with one another, where we manage our conflicts in a way that honors the Lord and puts on display all the good things that are ours in Christ to the world. Because we don't handle our conflicts the way the world does. We have a Lord who has told us how he wants us to handle our conflicts. And let's seek to do that. And remember, it is because Christ wants us to be one. I close with his prayer from John 17, 21. Jesus prays for his disciples, his followers, that's you and me, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, I pray that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our relational harmony and unity puts on display the glory of the gospel. We thank God for this. Let's pray together. Father, so much there in that little introduction to this letter. I just pray, Father, that now as we ponder the shape of the gospel around the Lord's table, as we share the bread and the cup together, oh Lord, may this be a place where we can meditate more fully on the way you have moved towards us with reconciling love. And Lord, we know that in this moment, we're not to be just united in Christ and thinking on Christ. We're actually to be thinking of how together we find ourselves as a church family in Christ. And so I just pray, Lord, that our gathering together at the fountain of grace this morning would be, again, a beautiful picture of what you have done in bringing us together in Christ and making us into the the people of God, the family of God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to prepare our hearts to respond around the Lord's table, we're going to sing the first two verses of Behold the Lamb Who Bears Our Sins Away. And then I'll explain what we're doing in communion, and we'll break the bread and drink the wine together. Let's stand and sing the first two verses.
please do be seated.